we turn in the Word of God to Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to leave with you the verse 5. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Leaving Abel then in Genesis chapter 4, the apostle proceeds to bring us into Genesis chapter 5, a chapter that gives us a genealogy. A genealogy that runs from Adam right through to Noah and his three sons. And out of that genealogy, Paul now selects two names. First of all, there is Enoch and then Noah. Now, others in that chapter undoubtedly are men of faith too. But these two men receive special testimony from God. And they stand out above all the others in that chapter as having obtained good reports. They witnessed good confessions. And tonight I want to consider with you one of them, that is Enoch. He is, as Jude says, the seventh from Adam. Now in the book of Genesis, there are four persons and a city that bear that name Enoch. There is Enoch the son of Cain, and the city that bears his name, the city of Enoch the son of Cain, and then there are two other Enochs towards the end of the book of Genesis. But the central one, the third one, the one in the midst, is the prominent one. He is the man of faith. And he is the one that we consider tonight, Enoch, the father of Methuselah. Now his name is itself an interesting word, Enoch. It comes from a verb used not frequently but on a number of occasions in the Holy Scriptures which means to dedicate or to train up or to discipline or to get ready and prepare. It is sometimes used of a house. When a house is ready, it's furnished, it's dedicated, it can be occupied. It's been brought to a place you can go into it now and live in it. It's used of the temple. It's all furnished. It's all completed. And it's dedicated to God. He can come into it now. It's ready. It's used of children. Train up a child. And it's that word dedicate. Train up a child. Dedicate a child. Work with the child. Fit the child. Discipline the child. So that the child is ready to live a life of worthiness. And it's that verb that is Enoch's name. And so he is a one who has been made ready. A one who has been trained in the faith. One who is, is disciplined. One who is dedicated to God. So dedicated to God. So rich in faith. 
that God is able to come and just take him. He's complete and he's ready. He's so ready. God takes him. Faith made him ready. He had this faith that makes the people of God ready. Ready for heaven. A faith that makes them ripe for glory. He had it in an exceeding great measure. So great a measure that he didn't even have to die. The Lord just come and took him. He was so ripe for glory. The Bible says, Be ye ready. For the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. And that sums up Enoch's life. He was ready and he came at the hour and he was prepared and God took him. He wasn't taken by surprise. And so he was ready. There's a question asked in the Bible. Whenever the Lord comes back again, shall he find faith on the earth? Will he find people like Enoch to translate Will he find men like this? Will he find this kind of faith? Now there are three things that I want to consider with you tonight about Enoch that are in this text set forth. First of all, Enoch's translation by God. He was translated. What is that? What does that mean? What was it that he experienced? And then secondly, we want to ask why God did this to him. And then thirdly, we want to look at the inspired proposition that follows from this. Verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. So the apostle, he brings in a proposition on the grounds of what he's just been saying about Enoch. So those three things tonight as the Lord enables us. First of all then, Enoch's translation. What was it that he experienced when it says, Enoch was translated. Whenever you hear that genealogy in Genesis, you hear a a phrase that's often reoccurring there. And he died, and he died, and he died. Genealogies can be dull. Very often in the Bible, I suppose we skip over them, especially genealogies in Chronicles. Those early chapters, we tend to skip over them and get into the history because they can be difficult, they can be dry, They've been kind of dull and maybe they put us to sleep. A lived X years and begot B and A lived Y years after he begot B and all the years of A were Z years and he begot sons and daughters and he died. And the formula is repeated for B and for C and so on and you need to go to sleep. But whenever you get to Enoch, the formula breaks down and it doesn't say he died. It says he was taken. And that wakens us up. That surprises us. That's different. The litany of death that is so often repeated in that chapter is broken by Enoch. And there's something new, something different. He was taken. He didn't die. And so the verses in Enoch, about Enoch in Genesis 5, they they wake us out of sleep and they get get our attention. So the unique thing about him is that God took him. God took him. Isn't that what the text says here? He was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. God took him. And this is the only man that God took at that time in such a way that he was not. Now God is always taking people. He takes people from here and he moves them to there. He took 
Abraham out of uh, the east and he brought him into the land of Canaan. He, he took Noah uh, and moved him into the ark and all of this and all of that. But you can always find them again. They're always somewhere else. They're all only moved about in the world and on the earth. But here is a man, he was taken and he was not. He was nowhere in the world. He couldn't be found. Maybe there were people who were looking for him, but he never was found. And the reason is given by the Holy Spirit, God, God just took him. That was it. And the, the meaning is, of course, that he took him out of this world. He took him straight to himself. He didn't take him by death. That's how God normally takes his people, by the means of death, through the valley of the shadow of death, that we all have to walk and traverse, and the Lord is with us. The good shepherd is with us and he's taking us through the valley and he's bringing us to the glory. But Enoch was the one who wasn't taken by the valley of the shadow of death. He was directly taken straight to glory in a flash. In fact, the apostle says, so that he should not see death. He went to heaven without dying. He went to heaven without having to be his body to be buried. He went to heaven without having to be separated from his body he went to heaven complete body and soul and all without seeing death. And that's different. Very different. And we haven't seen anything like that in the Bible up to Genesis chapter 5. Now later in the Bible we, we do have two further examples of this very thing. Because Elijah was taken. A chariot of fire came and horses of fire and parted Elijah from Elisha that were separated by these horses, these chariots and, and a whirlwind just, just took him up into glory. It wasn't the horses and the chariots took him up into glory. The horses and the chariots separated the two of them but it was a whirlwind took him up into glory. Stayed into heaven. The Lord took him. He was translated that he should not see death. And then there was our Lord himself and we're not surprised that he was translated. I mean, if good and godly Enoch, who walked with God, was translated, and that man of God, Elijah, was translated, the best man and the most righteous man who ever lived in all the earth, we're not surprised that he also was translated after his resurrection and ascended up into the same heaven where Elijah and Enoch are, but not to go to the same place where they are, he went to the very right hand of the Father himself. But it's a similar translation. It's something that is alike. And to be taken up like this into glory requires a change. Flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of heaven. There has to be a change. And Elijah and Enoch underwent changes in their humanity. There's no question about that. They were glorified. They were changed from glory to glory and made able to go in their bodies into the heavenly sanctuary to be with God and the angels and the spirits of just men made perfect. We might say in terms of modern theological language that is often used today, raptured. He was raptured. Yes, he was. He was raptured. He was taken up into heaven uh, as all the saints will be when the Lord comes back again. We believe in the rapture. But don't believe in the pre-tribulation rapture now. 
Believe that when the Lord comes back at the last day, they'll be caught up, the saints will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. The Lord will ascend from heaven with a shout. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then those that are alive and remaining alive when the Lord comes back will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. They'll be translated, they'll be raptured. As Paul said to the Corinthians, we shall not all sleep. Well, not all die. Not every Christian will die. We'll be living Christians when Christ comes back again at the resurrection of the dead. But we'll all be changed. And Enoch was changed. And Elijah was changed. Whenever they were translated. So the removal was upward. It was away from the world. It was away from this time. It was into the atmosphere and beyond. Against gravity itself. And they were taken into the very presence of Almighty God. And God did it. Because Paul says here, God translated him. Only God could do that. Not even the angels can do that. Not even they can change flesh and blood into a glorified humanity that is able to abide in the presence of God. God did it. And God alone did it. And he'll come back again and all of this will be done in the people of God at the last day. So it's a little foretaste of the last day. It's a, it's a mirror image of that great event when the Lord comes back with all his saints. The Jude says that Enoch, he preached the, the judgment of God. He, he said the Lord's coming back with 10,000 of his saints to judge the world unrighteously. Enoch knew of those times, he preached of those times, and he had a foretaste of those very times whenever God translated him into heaven. So it's a literal ascension to glory that he experienced. The main thing and the really important question is, why did God do this to him? What was there special about Enoch that God had to do this to him? Why did he stand out? Why was he taken? Why was he selected out of all other human beings, even all other good human beings, even the people of faith that he was co-living with in the world? Why him? And the text tells us. He was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him and this is the reason. For before his translation, he had this testimony. He pleased God. He pleased God. He delighted God. He, he thrilled the Lord. This man so pleased God that they had such sweet fellowship together. And the Lord loved his, him so much. And the Lord loved his presence so much. And the Lord loved his walk with him so much. That's what Genesis tells us. He walked with God. It, it doesn't say that he pleased God. It says that he walked with God, but this is the interpretation of it. He pleased God. They delighted to walk together. Twice it says that in Genesis 5. Enoch walked with God. And God took him straight to heaven without dying. God sovereignly chose to do that. And it just seems to me to be that the fellowship was so blessed 
God just decided one day, I'm speaking humanly, come straight to heaven with me, Enoch. Will not walk like this anymore on earth. You're so right for glory. You give me such delight. Just come now. I don't even want to wait till you die. I don't even want to wait to the resurrection of the dead at the last day. I want you to come now. He must have been special. He really must have been special whenever this happened in his life. Now that may sound very simplistic way to explain it, but I think it's the only explanation of it, really. He was ripe for glory. His faith was rewarded. He had the Emmanuel presence. You know, you can't walk with God without the Emmanuel presence. God came down and walked with him on the earth. That makes us think of Emmanuel, God with us. He walked with Christ. He knew the Saviour. He knew something of things hoped for. And in this walk together, God revealed to him things. The things hoped for. The future things. The things that he prophesied about. How the Lord's coming with ten thousands and thousands of his saints to judge the world at the last day. He saw all of that. Because Jude tells us he predicted that. He saw great things. He saw amazing things. He had such a faith. I think it even excels our faith. It was an amazing faith. In his walk with God, he he had all of these things that were hoped for pointed out to him. And so Paul is right to point out Enoch. As a man of faith, he certainly is that. Prominently, preeminently. He most definitely had the substance of things hoped for. He had the evidence of things not seen. He embraced them. He believed them. He was so persuaded of them. And God just said, come up now and enjoy them. And as I said, he preached and proclaimed those things. You know, I I sometimes think that we as Christians underestimate these early fathers of faith. As if they knew nothing and saw little. I don't think that is how we should view them. Especially the fathers of faith on the other side of the flood. And the other side of the flood, it was a different world. A very different world from today. They were very smart and intelligent. They lived long lives. They had many inventions, probably some form of technology. They had great faith, great understanding of the things of God. You see, they were near to the east of Eden, and all of that was still present. It hadn't been washed away by the flood. It was all in view. They had Adam, Seth, Living long years, hundreds of years they lived. In fact, they were very close to Adam and Eve, Adam and Seth, even up until near the flood. Whenever Noah's father was born, Adam was probably still alive. Seth himself was probably still living in the early life of Noah. So these patriarchs who were close to God, who were close to the Garden of Eden, who had walked in the presence of God as Adam had, they were very much alive and Enoch was alive. He lived in that age. And they had the knowledge of God. 
And they had revelations that didn't have to be written down in the Bible because everybody lived, everybody lived for centuries and it just went from mouth to mouth and from people to people. This knowledge of God. And they knew a lot. Now it is true the primeval world became very wicked and very evil and had to be washed away by the flood. But in the family of faith, there was no lack of light amongst the faithful. Preserving the truth of God, preserving the gospel, preserving the hope, the seed of the woman, the promise of the Lord coming, the judgment at the end of the world, the resurrection from the dead, all of these things would have been known in the primitive church before the flood. They knew the promised Redeemer. They knew much about the things hoped for. They embraced the evidence of the things not seen. So let us not think that they were cavemen in faith. If there were any cavemen, the cavemen are after the flood. There are no cavemen before the flood, not even cavemen in faith. They're men of Enoch's caliber. Enoch had Abel's faith. And Enoch especially was great in faith. I mean, it's not every day God takes a man to himself, not even in the primeval world. Enoch, he took Enoch. You know, we sometimes say, whenever good people unexpectedly die, we say that, oh, the Lord took them. They were too good for this world and the Lord wanted them to be with himself. Now that might be true, but it was certainly true of Enoch. Certainly true of him. So his faith had ripened. He was so ready and it was this faith. This amazing faith. This grasp of the things hoped for. The desire in his heart for them. To enjoy them with God. To participate in them. So great was the desire and the seeking of these things in his life and in his heart that God saw all of that and he just took it. It's amazing to think about his faith. And whenever Christ, of course, died and rose from the dead, he didn't have to live 300 years on the earth to be taken up and translated to glory. Just a number of days. And then the Father came to him and says, Come on, my son. I want to enjoy you at my side. And he took up his son. So an Enoch is, is a picture of that. Then the third thing is, and that follows on from what we said, is this proposition that the apostle sets forth following that. So seeing Enoch was taken, he was taken because of his faith, he was taken because he pleased God. This is the conclusion. Without faith... It is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, the thing about Paul, he doesn't just bring us through a history lecture here and talk about all these people historically. He wants it to be practical. He wants Enoch's life to be practical to us. And so he, he makes a practical proposition here. He says, Enoch, please God, it's impossible to please him unless you have faith. And Enoch had faith in full blossom. He abundantly pleased God so much that God took him straight to heaven. And we all have to have that faith. None of us will be taken to heaven. God will have no delight in any of us unless we have faith. Faith is so important. Faith is so vital. 
And that's what the apostle here is, is telling us. He's not just talking about faith. He's telling us the importance of faith. It's essential. It's essential to please God. There's no walk with God without it. There is no fellowship with the Lord apart from it. Enoch is a witness to that. Saints want to go to heaven. Saints want to follow in Enoch's footsteps. Saints want to have the experience of Enoch. Well, they won't without the faith of Enoch. Without this faith, it's impossible to please God. It's essential. That's what the apostle is reminding us of. The fundamental ingredient of a life that walks with God and ends in heavenly glory is faith. That's the fundamental ingredient. Without faith, it's not just difficult to please God. It's not just hard to please God. It's not just unlikely that you would please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. There's no way. Utterly impossible. You see, unbelief provokes God. It doesn't please Him. How long will this people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me? That's what he said about the people in the wilderness. That's why he doesn't mention the wilderness experience. Because God said about that period, how long will it be before they believe me? They provoke me. Unbelief provokes God. Faith pleases him. Remember how he said earlier on in Hebrews, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Unbelief is departure from God. Unbelief is away from God. It's faith that draws near to God. It's faith that comes to God. It's faith that pleases God. If God is not pleased, there's no walk with him. There's no fellowship with him. There's certainly no translation to heaven by him. No being with him in glory if he's not pleased. And it's faith that pleases him. I mean, it's so self-evident, congregation, that without faith it's impossible to please God. It's so obvious. I mean, it's the one thing that we, God can't stand, is unbelief. It's the one thing that brings men to hell. Unbelief, lack of faith. The unbelieving is the first list in all of those people that go to hell. The unbelieving. God can't abide unbelief. That's why he made hell. There's no other place for unbelievers to go. They couldn't go to God's presence and provoke him continually. There's only one place for them. A man, you see, has to acknowledge his creator. He ha it's very basic that he has to acknowledge his creator and confess his dependence upon God. And come to God. Come to a God who brings everything that he needs. You know, we don't even have hope of a piece of bread without God. That's really the truth and reality. The sinners don't know that. They get bread anyway. But we don't have the hope of it. We don't have the promise of it without God. And so he has to be believed. He has to be dependent on. It's a very basic fundamental. 
that you have to depend on your creator. Faith. You can't walk with someone you, you don't know exists. Or you deny he exists. Or the only way that you can deal with him is to deny that he exists. You can't do that. You can't walk with such a person. You can't walk with a person and call him a liar. You can't walk with a person if you don't have evidence of his being. You can't hope to receive anything from a person if you're not persuaded that he has good things to give. And so it's faith that is essential. Because only faith sees God, the invisible. Only faith makes God evident to us, real to us. It's only faith that will approach God, that will come to God, that will look to God, that will pray to God, that will beseech God for mercy, that will look for these things that he bears, the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. It's only faith that is capable of participation in these things. So you see that Paul is quite right here then. You must believe in him, must believe and trust God. That pleases him. Unbelief has no interest in him. Unbelief does not see him, does not want him. Unbelief does not desire him. Unbelief does not seek him. Unbelief does not come to hear his word. Unbelief does not study his word. Unbelief does not listen to him, nor ask him for anything. Unbelief only has to do with the now and this world and the present and the pleasing of this present body. Faith sees more than this. Beyond God, eternity. And faith wants that. Wants that God. Wants that eternal life. Wants those things hoped for. Those promised things to come. Faith wants the forgiveness of sins. Faith wants and desires the everlasting life. Faith wants and desires the resurrection from the dead. And the new heavens and the new earth. And the everlasting living with Almighty God and His Son Jesus Christ. Faith seeks that. Faith comes to God to receive that and to obtain that. Faith turns men into seekers, into comers. He that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And that's what faith does it makes you a diligent seeker, it makes you an earnest seeker. It makes you want salvation, want the forgiveness of sins, want the mercy of God. And Enoch had this to such a fullness, wanting all these things, desiring all these things, patiently waiting and longing for all these things. So burning was this faith in his heart that God said, come now Enoch and just enjoy it. And may our faith ripen like that. And I trust when it comes for us to die and to lay our head upon the pillow of death that our faith will have ripened like that. And we'll just hear God saying, Come on in. Come on in. Well done, good and faithful believing servant. Enjoy the things that God has 
prepared for you since the foundation of the world. A ripening faith. What the Bible calls an abundant entrance. That's what Enoch had. An abundant entrance. And what a glorious day that will be when Christ returns again and all the dead are raised up and all the living Christians are changed and transformed and their faith is so ripened that they're brought into the presence of Jesus Christ for all eternity. What a glorious day is that. Only faith will see it. Have you faith? Have you Enoch's faith? Do you believe? Do you come to God through Jesus Christ? Do you seek him? Are you a seeker? Is God real to you? Is Christ real to you? Is heaven real to you? Are eternal things more real to you than this passing world? Do you have faith? And is your faith growing and ripening? And when Christ comes back again, will he find this faith on the earth? May he do so. And may we possess it.